I grew up in the church. Uh, my dad uh, was a pastor, and then I became a pastor, and it's just been kind of part of uh, my family's history. In fact, my last name is Clark, and it's Scottish, which means clergy or pastor. So it's literally something that I kind of come from, which is really cool. So we've experienced a lot of of church in my in my life from my my generation to my kids to my parents to my grandparents and everything. So we've experienced a lot of church leadership, and in church leadership uh, or being part of a church just comes pain sometimes. Uh, comes hurt. Comes uh, some form of maybe even abuse, whether it's uh, emotional or spiritual or what have you. But uh, it's just kind of a part of the church, unfortunately. Um, now, this comes from the human side of us, right? Humanity is just prone to hurting one another. Uh, and the example I kind of want to give is a silly one, but it's very true. When I was in third grade, uh, this still was very clear in my mind, I had a girl who I had a crush on. Her name was Penny Archibald. Penny, if you're listening, hi. Uh, uh, her name was Penny Archibald, and uh, it was Valentine's Day coming up. And Oh, sorry, I didn't start the timer. Uh, and Valentine's Day was coming up, and so I wanted to get her something for Valentine's Day, right? So I went to Albertsons, because that's where you get Valentine's stuff. Went to Albertsons in third grade and found this little heart-shaped box of chocolates and had an elephant on it. And the elephant was standing on top of these words that said, I have a crush on you. And I was like, this is going to be the best gift ever. She's probably going to give me a kiss, and it's going to be amazing, and we'll be together forever. Uh, and so I, <laughs> I brought that, that box of chocolates to school, and I handed it to her. And I said, this is for you. And I, I don't remember what I did after that. I probably ran away. But uh, that same day at school... I saw another boy holding that box of chocolates that had an elephant on it that said, I have a crush on you. And his name was Derek. I don't remember what his last name was. Uh, but I just remember being like, my heart just crushed. I was brokenhearted because the girl who I had a crush on took my box of chocolates and gave it to the boy she had a crush on. I was devastated. I, I, I still live in my house that I lived in when I was a kid. Like, I bought it. My girls had my old room. I, we walked to school every day. I walked home from school sobbing. I'm so, I'm the girl I love. She gave my box of chocolates away. I came home. I came in the door sobbing. My mom was like, what's wrong? And I'm like, Patty gave my box of chocolates away to the guy that she likes. And she's like, oh, so sorry. And she's like, you want me to cancel your piano lessons today? I was like, yes, please. <laughs> and so, so that, was like, that was like my first heartbreak I ever experienced. And that was in third grade, the girl I had a crush on. I had been hurt. Now, like I said, this is this silly little story about me getting, uh, you know, having my first crush and then getting crushed. Uh, but it's an example of how we as humans, right, have this ability to hurt one another uh, emotionally, whether it's intentional or not. We just have that ability to create pain, to create heartache, hardships, uh, hurts, or wounds. Now, 
unfortunately for us, this principle can also bleed over into the church because the church is run by us, humans. Historically, the church has handed out lots of hurt, uh, and a lot of churches still continue to hand out this hurt. Uh, sometimes it's, it's kind of appalling to see and think that this still happens in our day and age where we see churches uh, promote hatred. We see some churches that actually abuse their con- congregates uh, emotionally and physically. I literally saw a headline, oh gosh, like a month ago where uh, these, these church leaders were telling these parents they weren't hitting their kids hard enough and they abused their kids to where the kids actually died. It's, it's, it's devastating. It's terrible. Uh, and so they, they uh, uh, promote abuse physically and emotionally. Some churches still promote racism. And then there are churches who, through their own humanity, have caused hurt as a leader, whether it's on purpose or on accident, just through their actions. And maybe you're here tonight and you've experienced this. Or maybe you're currently experiencing this. So what I want to do is I want to go through why this happens, uh, why it still happens, and some steps to help deal with that pain uh, or hurt that's been dealt. Now, sometimes it's hard to listen to somebody about the pain you're going through, right? Because sometimes you're like, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I'm going through. And to an extent, that can be accurate. Not a lot of people go through the exact same things or exact uh, pain that somebody else will go through. But I want to let you know that I personally have experienced being hurt by the church, and it actually happened a few times in my life. Uh, Now, I'm going to use the term church, which is this general term to convey uh, when I was at certain churches, because I don't think it'd be beneficial to name the churches that I've experienced hurt at. Uh, And these churches that I'm talking about continue to preach the gospel, and I seriously have no hard feelings towards them. Um, But from my own personal experience, I have been abandoned by the church. I have been abandoned by the church in a time of need in my life. I have been manipulated by the church. I have been emotionally abused by the church. I have been given bad advice by the church, which led to a lot of hardships in my life uh, and caused a lot of strain in my life and sometimes my family's lives. I've had family members who have experienced this kind of pain. Uh, When I was a kid, I saw my parents go through this. I've seen my father and my mother both be abandoned by the church in a desperate time of need. I've seen unjust, unjust church discipline be enacted on my extended family. My grandmother actually even experienced a form of hurt from the church. When she was dying, my grandmother had a heart attack, and she was laying on her deathbed. And my parents, uh, we we all kind of grew up thinking my my grandmother was not a believer, that she didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And so my parents were like, this is literally the last time we're going to truly get to talk to her about this, so we, we need to do it. So my parents came to my grandmother's deathbed and they said, hey, like, we really want you to know who Jesus is, um, who who he is uh, in our lives, and we really want you to have a relationship with you, with him, and this may be the last chance you get. And my grandmother said, 
I want you to know I've always had this relationship with Jesus. And they said, well, why, why haven't we seen that? And she said, because I've been so hurt from the church that I didn't want to go back. My, my grandmother, my, my grandfather uh, was convinced that my grandmother was having an affair. And so he divorced her. Now, this was in like the 50s. So divorce was a very, very big deal at that point. And because she was a divorced mother of two, the church and its congregants basically, basically shunned her and ignored her because she was a woman of divorce. That was a big deal back then. So my grandmother was personally very hurt and kind of wanted nothing to do with it, even though she still believed in Jesus. She was just like, I like Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with this church. So sinful nature um, can just, our, our human sinful nature can invade the church because God uses humans to run the church. And guess what? Humans, guess what? We just suck sometimes. We suck. That's just how it is. Even the ones you think are great, sometimes they suck. Uh, I've had pastors or leaders in my life who I thought were like great or who I watched from a distance. I'm like, oh, these guys, I want to be like this. I want to be like this. And then they just suck. They ended up doing something that I'm like, well, that sucks because I really looked up to them. I really liked this guy. And I wanted to be like them. And, and each, every time I would put this person on a pedestal, something would come out because they're like all of us. They're humans. They just have this sinful nature inside of them that can sometimes creep out or get the best of us. We even see people like this in the Bible. Now, we're going to focus on one person in particular uh, because uh, this guy uh, has a lot to do with the foundation of the church. His name is Peter. If you don't know Peter, he was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. These 12 guys who Jesus picked out uh, by hand and said, you're going to follow me and you're going to change the world. You're going to help start the church. You're going to uh, spread the good news of Jesus uh, on the cross and you're going to be leaders in this world. So Peter is one of these guys. And in Matthew 16, 13 through 20, we see Jesus pull his disciples together. And he says, uh, and he asks them who they think Jesus is. Now, Peter correctly answers that Jesus is the Messiah. And then Jesus tells them that on this principle, that Jesus is the Messiah, he will start his church. He uses the, he uses the term rock as a rock solid, rock solid foundation. Sorry, I am tripping over all my words tonight. Um, Rock salad, is that what I said? Rock, rock salad. Uh, a rock salad foundation. But that also happens to be the definition of the name Peter. Peter in Greek means rock. Now some scholars believe that Jesus is saying that he would build the church of the foundation off of Peter. But when you look at the original Greek, he uses two different terms for rock. Petros and Petra. I'm not going to go into all that and, and uh, explain and define the original Greek to explain it. Uh, but if the church was built off the foundation of Peter, we would all be in trouble, right? We would all be in big trouble if this is built off of Peter. And I'm going to show you why. Peter is not God. He is just like you and me. He is a sinful human. Uh, and in fact, if you uh, didn't know this, when Jesus is arrested and he's about to be crucified, Peter denies even being associated with Jesus. Peter's one of Jesus' closest friends, 
and he is a disciple of him, and Jesus is teaching him everything that he can so that Peter could go out and spread the good news. And then when it comes to the hardest moment of Jesus' life, Peter ditches him. Not only does he ditch him, he denies knowing him. Now, I'm going to uh, give out a couple of uh, examples here, but in Matthew, Matthew 26, verse 72, uh, Peter is confronted about knowing Jesus, and Peter denies it. And in fact, he denies it by taking an oath. He took an oath in his denial, which is Peter speaking to his fellow Jews, saying, I swear to God Almighty that I do not know him. And if you think that that's bad, it gets worse. Uh, Jesus even foretells that Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crows, and it happens. So Peter had already denied him, then he denied him a second time, taking an oath. And then on the third time, Peter denies Jesus, and he says a curse and a swear, which meant in the original text, he said, I do not know this Jesus. And if I'm lying, may God strike me dead where I stand and damn me to hell. Peter went so far with this lie of even knowing Jesus that he says, may God strike me dead if I'm wrong and may I be sentenced to hell forever. I don't know him. That's how strong I don't know him. If that's not the grace of God in this man's life, I don't know what is. Because not only does Peter then uh, is his life spared, but he gets restored back to ministry and becomes one of the greatest church leaders of all time. Peter, he was one of our founding church fathers. And here's the rub. If it were you or I in that position, we'd probably end up doing the same thing. I would like to say, oh no, like I could do better than Peter. But if I'm about to be crucified because of my association with Jesus... I can't say that I wouldn't do the same thing. These guys knew about crucifixion and what was about to happen, and they were terrified of it, and rightly so. If the church's foundation were built on the foundation of man, of Peter, it would crumble. The church is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and his mercy and forgiveness. Now, Jesus had just gotten done telling these guys that he would use them to build the church, uh, then these founders of the church all abandoned, all abandoned him, all 12 of them. They literally left him for dead and even denied him. Jesus was the first person to be hurt by the founding church fathers. But Jesus gives us an example that we are all on the same playing field, that we are all capable of hurt and sin. If you guys have your Bibles, turn with me really quick to John 8. And we're going to look at a few verses here. John 8, we're going to start in verse 1. If you're not there, that's okay. You can listen along with me. John 8, verse 1 says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. adultery. Now, when the law of Moses commanded us to stone such, woman, such women, what do you say? This they said to test him, 
that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And at once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus is laying it out. We all have this capability. We all have the capability for sin. None of us are above the other. Every single one of us has this same capability to fall into sin, to fall into temptation, to fall into whatever it is before us. And Jesus says, if you are better than this person, go ahead, you be the first one to throw the rock at her. And no one could do it. There are some scholars who believe that uh, Jesus writing in the sand started to actually write down some people's names and even their sins. And then these people would see it and be like, oh, that's me. I'm out. I, I don't know if that's true, but it's kind of a, a cool picture if that is the case. But I think that each person realized that they were not above this person in their own sinful nature. So we've looked at how the church is made, for, made of sinful humans, and we looked at how we are no different from anyone else because we have to have that same very capability. And you may be sitting here saying, yes, that, that's all well and good, but that doesn't mean that I haven't been hurt by the church. And you're right. Pain, hurts, or wounds are still a very real thing. Remember that even Jesus was wounded. As we talk about when the apostles abandoned him, not only were they to be the founding fathers of the church, but they were also Jesus' close friends. He was abandoned, he was forsaken, and he was put through an immense amount of emotional pain, which was then followed by physical pain. If you've been hurt, you're not alone. I want to say that if you've been hurt by the church, I'm truly sorry. If Ecclesia has hurt you, I'm very sorry. If I, as a leader, have hurt you, I am truly very sorry from the bottom of my heart. Never my intention. I would never intentionally want to cause any sort of emotional, mental, or spiritual harm to anyone. And I would like to think that that is most church leaders because they have had a calling on their life to lead the people of God. I would hope any good pastor, elder, or deacon, or leader in the church would never try to intentionally do that. But we all make mistakes, right? We all in our lives have been hurt by someone at some point. Maybe by your parents. Maybe by your siblings. By a boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe you've been hurt by a spouse, by a friend, by an acquaintance, by a teacher, by your boss, by a coworker, or by a pastor. And if you've been hurt or wounded, I want to give you guys some helpful steps to take. The first one, and this is the most important and the hardest sometimes, is to forgive. Forgiving the church leader or leaders who've hurt us is the first step, even if they haven't asked for that forgiveness. Again, Peter and Jesus give us the example in Matthew 18, 21 through 22. 
says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? This is, I love this. Peter's always trying to show Jesus how cool he is, right? I love it. He's like, what do you think? Seven times? Should I forgive him seven times? He's like, I got this. And then Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. This is not Jesus giving an exact number, yet a picture that our forgiveness should happen too many times to keep track of. The number should be so big that it seems endless. Notice neither Peter nor Jesus are talking about if they ask for forgiveness, this is command and a prescription for your own heart. We shouldn't hold things against people. We have to have a heart of forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now I list forgiveness as the first step because this is something that needs to occur in your heart. It is dependent upon you and it is the most crucial part. Now, like I said, sometimes it's not easy. But if you forgive that person in your heart, it will change your life. It will change your attitude. It will change your outlook. And it's hard. I totally get it. Like I said, I've been hurt. And I know how hard it is to forgive somebody. And as, as I was studying for this, God brought somebody to my mind. And he said, Seth, you still have not forgiven this person and you're teaching on this tonight. And I had to step back and say, you're right, I haven't. I had to go through this transitional period in my life for something I've held against somebody for many, many years. Years, you guys. And I haven't even thought about it. For whatever reason, it just never came to my mind. But God said, now is the time to forgive this person. And I had to stop my studying and say, you're right. And I had to forgive that person in my heart. And I'm probably going to have to continue to do it because when Jesus talks about forgiving 70 times seven, he's also talking about sometimes you're just going to have to keep doing it in your heart for your own sake. This person who I have to forgive, I may have to then forgive them again tomorrow because I may be back to feeling that same kind of attitude or that hurt or that pain towards this person. And Jesus says, keep forgiving keep forgiving. Keep going. It's going to be good for your heart. It's going to be good for your soul. We have to forgive. That is the most important part. Number two, sometimes it may take confrontation. Now, we are called as followers of Christ to confront someone if they are in sin. Now, before you jump to any kind of conclusion, confrontation can sound like a bad thing, but there's actually a good type of confrontation. Matthew 18, verse 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens, you have gained your brother. That's such a cool picture. I love how he says that. If he listens, you have gained your brother. This is not talking about like a, for in a family setting necessarily. This is talking about if you are a follower of Christ and this person is a follower of Christ and they are in sin, uh, and if they, they have sinned against you, go talk to him. And if he accepts that, then you, uh, your relationship is restored. 
This type of confrontation restores the relationship. And the verse continues on. Uh, if the other person is unrepentant in sin and then steps uh, to continue to deal with it, but we are to talk to someone if they have hurt us. Now this verse is pertaining to sin itself and a lot of times the hurt can be a result of sin. But what do we do if the church has hurt us in a non-sinful action? And what I mean by that is something that they've intentionally done to hurt you. Romans 12 verse 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As far as it depends on us, we are to live in peace with one another. It's a very real possibility that the leader who hurt you didn't even realize that they hurt you. And any good leader wanted to hear that so they could make amends with you. Ephesians 4.15 says that we need to speak the truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4 is all about unity in the body of Christ or unity in the church. If we are to be unified, we need to speak truth to another, but we need to speak it in love. So we are to get the courage to talk to the other person or leader who hurt us and try to tell them in love and in peace how they've hurt you. Hopefully, hopefully, you will have gained your brother or sister as Matthew 18 talks about. Now, I saved kind of a doozy for the last step because I believe that a lot of people leave their church over this last one. Again, none of us are exempt, right? We're all in the same boat. Number three is wrestle with your desires versus God's desires. Wrestle with your desires versus God's desires. What do I mean by that? Are you masking your selfishness as hurt. Being hurt by the church is a very, very real thing. I get that. But are you finding yourself hurt or trying to leave or finding an excuse to go because the church is not what you want it to be? I think a lot of us need to consider these things because guess what? We all suck, right? I said that earlier. We're all selfish. And once you've been at church for a while, you feel an ownership of that church. And so you should. We are called to be part of the body and not just a consumer of it. We are to engage, we are to lead, we are to participate. If you are uh, just listening to the sermons and not taking part in the work of the body of Christ, you are not truly a part of the body of Christ. But when we become a part, we feel like we have some say, right? But in your participation of the body, we have to understand what our place is. 1 Corinthians 12 12 through 27 says this, and you guys can just listen. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. It's talking about all the different parts of your body. Even though it's different parts, it's still all part of one body. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would, make it, that would not make it any less part of the body. 
If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor or our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Sorry, guys, this is a long one. Keep bearing with me. Which, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, and that there be no, may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Sometimes the leaders of the church are going to make designs we don't like. But if those, uh, sorry, <laughs> it's autocorrection, going to make decisions we don't like, not designs. <laughs> Sometimes designs too. I've you know, argued with designers. Uh, but uh, sorry, Sometimes the leaders of the church are going to make decisions we don't like. I'll just edit that out of the podcast. But if those decisions line up with Scripture, there are points where we have to ask ourselves, are we letting God's leaders lead? Or are we trying to lead when it's not our place to lead? This is a very important question to ask, and it's one that could save you a lot of hardship. Sometimes, when you are part of the church, you want the church to do exactly what you want, right? I, I've been there, totally been there. I'm like, this is so dumb. Why do we do it this way? We should do it the other way. They should listen to me. Why are they not listening to me? I'm out of here. I've totally had those thoughts. I've totally almost come to those places before. When you have ownership of the church because you feel like you are a crucial part of it, you have to remember that God may have not placed you in that setting. And sometimes we have that selfish desire to want to say, hey, it's my way or the highway. If you don't change it like this, I'm out of here. And so sometimes we mask our selfishness as hurt. Like they didn't listen to what I had to say. And so the church really hurt me and I left. And I'm like, it sounds more like you were selfish and you left. But I only say that because I've been there. I've totally been there. So are you masking your selfishness as hurt? And if you've been harboring any resentment against the church, it's time to forgive. Remember, this is Christ's church, and he uses us, sucky, imperfect, sinful people, to run it. Show grace show mercy, and show forgiveness as that same grace, mercy, and forgiveness has been shown to you. If you've been hurt by the church and you need to talk, uh, the leaders here want to listen. I want to hear from you. I want to know how the church has hurt you. I want to know if we've hurt you. I want to know your pain. And I want you to know that you're in good company. 
the best company. Jesus himself experienced it. He experienced the same kind of hurt from the very people he appointed to the leadership. But ultimately, you guys, it comes to forgiveness. Just as Christ, as Jesus himself, paid with his life on the cross for our very own forgiveness before God the Father. He loves us so much, you guys. He loves us so much, even in our, I'm going to say it again, sucky, sinful, unrighteousness. God's still like, I want you. I love you. And he loves us so much that he sent his only son to the cross to die for all of our (laughs) sucky sinfulness, for our unrighteousness. And God's like, I love you no matter what. And I want you to be with me. And you can only be with him through belief in Jesus on the cross for your sins, for my sins. This is the only way that we get to be with him through his mercy, through his grace, through his forgiveness. And I pray you guys that if you don't believe in him, that you would come to believe in him today. And if you've been hurt, I get it. And maybe it's time to forgive.